Welcome to Writer's Digest Presents. Hosted by the editors of Writer's Digest, this monthly podcast features conversations with writing and publishing experts whose insights will help ignite your creative vision, hone your skills, build your platform, and get your work out into the world. Welcome back to Writer's Digest Presents. I am Editor-in-Chief Amy Jones, alongside Senior Editor Robert Lee Brewer, Managing Editor Mariah Richard, and Editor Michael Woodson. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about all things literary agents, what they do, how to find them, what to look for in an agent, and we'll be talking with Agent Margaret Danko from Paper Overboard, a division of Irene Goodman Literary Agency. But first, a chat with the editors of WD. Hey, everyone. How are you? Hello. Hey. Good. It was, we just saw each other in person, some of us for the first time at the uh, annual conference in July. It was great to see all of you. And we had some time there to interact with some literary agents. So it feels um, particularly apt to be able to have this conversation today. Um, I wanted to start by talking um, generally about what literary agents do, because while we all know that they sell manuscripts to editors, um, what they do with their clients or potential clients before and after that can vary depending on the type of agent they are. Um, for example, I know that there are some agents who are heavily involved in editorial or development editing of a manuscript um, before it goes to an editor at a publishing house. And there are some agents who are kind of hands off and take the manuscript and sell it. Um, so I guess let's talk about what other things agents do for their clients. Yeah. I mean, uh, one thing that I know uh, agents can do um, and again, like anything we talk about with what agents do, like it can vary. Um, so I just want to throw that out there first is don't assume uh, if you're agreeing to a contract with an agent to represent you that they automatically do anything unless you specifically talk about it and um, get it sort of nailed down in terms of like what they're going to do for you. But some uh, agents will, uh, as you mentioned, do like the editorial work, development work ahead of time. Uh, some will... Um, do things like promotional work uh, uh, and help uh, publicize uh, authors and um, help uh, promote their careers. And I, I won't take everything that an agent does uh, and give everyone else a chance to, to chime in. But when I think of literary agents, I think of somebody who like helps uh, a writer with their career and uh, career building. Yeah, I think that's a, a great point that... Um to look at an editor, an agent as a career partner to help you build mm -hmm. that, um, you know, your work over the span of your literary career or your, your writing career. Um, and I was going to say one um, author I work with, I also work with her agent frequently because even though I'm not acquiring books right now, the agent helps the author manage all of her other freelance writing, you know, writing magazine articles for Writer's Digest, for instance. Um, so they can also help with that sort of thing. Mariah, were you going to add something? Yeah, it's funny because um, before I started working here, I did not interact with 
agents at all. Um, I was working in very like non-traditional publishing publishing spaces. Um, but since working here, I've noticed that like some uh, authors are just more comfortable if all communication goes straight through their agent. Um, so sometimes I'll work with authors and I'll never speak to them directly. I will be just uh, speaking through their agent to them. Um, and some will just like CC their agent on all our emails, um, which is it's kind of like a safety net, right? Like mm -hmm. the, right. the agent isn't really engaged in our conversation, but they're there just to keep an eye on things, just to make sure that everything's running really smoothly. Um, and then sometimes I'll reach out to an agent and they will send me directly to the author and the author and I will work together uh, directly from there on without any like interference, I guess is the word from the agent. So it, it's really interesting to see um, the different ways that agents will handle uh, relationships with other industry professionals. Um, and it, it really has opened my eyes to the fact that like these agents are tailoring that experience um, to the author's comfortability. Um, Raya, I'm, I'm glad you said that because it reminded me before, before I joined WDA, I was working at a, a really small, like teeny tiny little independent children's book publisher. And generally we accepted submissions openly. There was no caveat. Um, and we had one, um, author illustrator who was one of our bigger author illustrators. And then I think after maybe two years did ultimately, um, get an agent. And that was our, our first time interacting with an agent. And it's exactly as you said, Mariah, suddenly all of our conversation was through the agent and not with the author, which at first was very, um, we had to get used to that because, we were such a teeny tiny little publisher that that was kind of what we loved about it was being so in communication with our um, authors and illustrators on like an independent or person to person basis. But then we just had to see that as this was only positive for this person because it meant that they were becoming very successful and much larger than what we could offer them. And um, then be became really close with this author's agent and then has since really blown up. So it is just interesting the way it can not like fully change your relationship with, with the authors, but it just adds an element to um, the process that does feel very much like, Oh, this is a business. Like we, mm -hmm. there, there are steps in place that actually just are supposed to make it easier for everybody involved. Mm hmm yeah, Michael, I had such a very similar experience. Um, I went from working on um, Northlight Books, which was an art oh, yeah. imprint, and almost none of the authors who I worked with there had a literary agent. So I was mm -hmm. communicating with the author 100% of the time. Um, and then when I moved to Writer's Digest Books, it was the exact opposite. Um I would say 90% of the authors I worked with had literary agents. And mm -hmm. um, I remember, Mariah, you mentioned something about, um, you know, some authors will CC their agent on every single email. And that was brand new to me. So there were times <laughs> in my mind, I'm thinking, 
I'm going to remove this person because they don't need to see that I said, okay, thanks for that in an email. (laughs) Um, Because I know I don't necessarily care to receive those kinds of emails on a group (laughs) chain in my inbox. And I was politely and quickly notified that the agent needs to stay CC'd on all of the communications. Um, And it was just an, it was a new experience. And now that I have worked with more authors in that way, I understand why some prefer to do it that way. Um, But it it was a surprise because I was thinking, boy, this, this agent must get an awful lot of emails. (laughs) Oh yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And that's the great thing about having the agents involved too, like from the author's perspective is that, uh, you know, if, if at any point you start to go down a uh, a business rabbit hole, the agent's there to just kind of make sure that everything is sort of business appropriate compared to other authors. Um, mm-hmm. and, and sometimes that, that can mean, uh, you know, contract negotiation always seems like the very obvious thing, but sometimes even just like promotional right. uh things the agent just like kind of safeguarding uh the author's time and Mm -hmm. uh, energy and effort and and making sure that uh the author doesn't overcommit or or you know start to you know as author sometimes like it can feel great to have a publisher or bookstore or whoever like ask for their attention but sometimes like even if the publisher or bookstore is not trying to do it can start to take too much time and attention so so the agent's mm-hmm. just there to make sure like that that uh you know the author is spending their time uh the the best way and really thinking mm-hmm. about it from a business perspective and a career perspective right there is something that happened to me recently um that like i'm still thinking about it <laughs> so um i i use netgalley Um, which I started using when I became the managing editor here. Um, And last year I requested a book from one of my favorite authors, Um, read it, loved it. I always leave reviews on, on everything that I receive. Um, And then recently the agent of that author reached out and said, Hey, saw that you, wrote that review last year when that book came out we have another book coming out would love for you to read it here's the the link to get it and the book doesn't isn't published until february and i just had this like a little bit of a moment where i was like i've made it (laughs) Um, early access vip and i i just hadn't realized i guess that um people on on these authors publishing teams like agents are kind of looking at who exactly is reading the work and writing about it Um, and like taking it upon themselves to reach out to some of those media outlets and say like hey if you really liked that we'd love for you to give this one a try Um, it's something that i guess in my mind like a publicist might do Mm -hmm. um but it was it was fun and interesting that it was specifically this person's literary agent 
Yeah, it's fun to, it's good to think about that too, because it's like a great time to think about like, also like how do agents make their money? And Mm. I think some authors, especially like new to the process may not realize this, but uh, all reputable literary agents, they're earning their money based off of sales that they make. And that means that their authors need to, you know, land their books with publishers, but then also once they land with the publishers, sell the books uh, through um, because the agent is typically getting like 15% uh, royalty on uh, the actual earnings that the author gets. So, so that agents are very invested, especially um, younger, uh, newer agents are, are, probably going to go above and beyond uh, as much as possible because they're trying to, you know, an author's trying to make their way in publishing, but agents are often trying to make their way in publishing as well from uh, their side of the table. Right. That's a really good point that they are. And I I was going to mention this earlier, but there's a fantastic um, website called the Association of American Literary Agents. And if you that's not their URL, but if you Google it, you'll find it. And it has um, a canon of ethics for literary agents. And so if you ever have a question about, is this potential agent making their money in an ethical, um, mm. you know, up, upstanding way, which is to say selling manuscripts to publishers or selling rights of their clients' books to um, publishers, if they're... if they're looking to charge you for other things in other ways. Um, this canon of ethics can sort of help you navigate if that is appropriate or not. Um, I think there are some agents who will have, um, you know, personal websites where maybe they will offer query letter critiques, or um, you know, they will work with us on boot camps where they offer advice and do literary critiques, and they do make money that way, but. Oftentimes they will have stipulations that clients through their personal work, they will not take on as clients in their literary agent business because there is a conflict of interest there and they should not be taking money in advance from potential, from potential clients whose manuscripts they're then supposed to sell because that's, that's just a weird kind of uncomfortable gray area that um, is not necessarily um, ethical. Yeah, definitely. Anytime an agent asks you to pay for an editing service like that, uh, be aware that they're not representing you as an agent in that Mm -hmm. capacity. They're working for you as a freelance editor. Um, And I think like that's where like the really dangerous gray area can come in because people can think, well, I'm represented by this agent because they're looking at my manuscript and I'm paying them this much money. And it's like, they're not really representing you as an agent, at least not in an ethical way, uh, doing it that way. Um, there, there are literary agents who will do development editorial type services and not charge you, um, because they're trying to fix up the manuscript uh, to submit or the book proposal mm-hmm. to submit. Uh, but uh, it, anytime they're charging you, um, 
they're, they're not actually like representing you as an agent. Um, and, and you should be wary if they say that they are representing you as an agent right. and charging you money at the same time. Yeah, that's a great way of framing it. Just a couple of other things that um, I wanted to note that agents do um, that I've seen in recent days. Um, most recently, so we're recording this in the middle of August and um, just a couple of days ago, the novelist uh, Salman Rushdie was attacked at a literary festival and there were, um, you know, people wanting updates on him, obviously, because it was such a horrific event. And his agent, Andrew Wiley, acted as his spoke spokesperson um, during the initial hours and days of that. So an agent, um, you know, your literary agent might also, hopefully for more positive reasons than that, um, might act as your spokesperson to the press. Um, if you are in some sort of newsworthy event, um, entirely separately, agents might represent, um, estates of authors after they mm. pass away, you know, so the family doesn't have to have to deal with that. Um, we had an article and I can't remember what issue it is. Um, maybe our November, December, issue. We have an article from Michael LaRon talking about how authors can prepare their estates for, um, Oh yeah. You know, I the actually future. think that's the September, October issue. Is it? Well, perfect. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's out now. <laughs> um, right. but you know, if you have a literary agent, they can handle that instead of your family handling that. And then, of course, there are things like foreign rights translations, film rights, merchandising rights, right. video game rights. Um, and, of course, sometimes there are special agents at literary agencies. So your particular agent might not handle those things, but a partner agent at that agency might handle those things, um, which is great because I would never want to deal with any of that. Somebody else handle it for me, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that's actually a good uh, thing to keep in mind when you're searching for an agent to represent you is to look at the size of the agency. Um, most literary agent websites, uh, if it's like an actual agency, they will uh, have a tab that either says like uh, members or literary agents or something to that effect that will list out uh, the different uh, staff, uh, the different agents that work there. And you can get a sense of, uh, you know, one, you know, how, what each agent is interested in, which can be helpful for pitching, but also you can get a sense of, do they have, uh, an agent or agents who handle foreign rights, who handle, uh, script rights? Uh, because, uh, if you have an agency that, uh, has people who specifically work on that, there's a better chance that you can actually uh, sell those rights uh, versus, you know, if it's one agent, it's going to be very difficult for them to, uh, it's, I'm not going to say it's impossible. I'm sure that there's people who do it, but it's going to be more difficult for them to like focus on selling book rights and selling movie rights and selling international rights mm -hmm. uh, in a proactive way, whereas an agency that has people who specifically focus on that, they, they can be more proactive in um, 
trying to sell those types of rights. That's a really good point, Robert. And I think that's one that, correct me if I'm wrong, if any of you remember, but I think in at the conference, our closing keynote, Tiffany D. Jackson, someone asked her something related to this sort of advice. And she had mentioned negotiating specifically international rights and how that wasn't something that was really on her radar. And so then doing it again, she would have done it differently. And so I think to your point, like thinking of those things ahead of time, maybe, and, and, and the agent having a better sense of that for you. So you don't have to worry about it is really important. Yeah, for sure. There, I know with, um, some of the contracts that we had, um, at the imprints that I worked in, you know, coming from the place of the publisher, our standard contract built in all of those rights, um, that we, the publisher would have the the opportunity to sell the foreign rights or the audio develop the audio product or develop a film product knowing of course that number one we weren't outfitted to <laughs> actually do a lot of those things we did not have an audiobook program um we were it was a smaller publisher we were not necessarily in any way shape or form prepared to you know produce videos related to you know some of these books I'm not necessarily sure how they would translate to video, but that aside, um, you know, it was the the authors who had those literary agents who could see that in the contract and recognize this publisher is not big enough to handle those kinds of things. We should retain those rights um, so that the author and, it, you know, the literary agent for the author can sell those rights so that it benefits them <clears throat> instead of just giving it to um, the first publisher that comes along. Hmm. Right. And that, that's a very good point too, because an agent can look at what a publisher is actually able to do or not do. Mm -hmm. um, even if the publisher ends up taking those rights, an agent will be able to say, well, explain to me, like, how are you actually going to um, use this material? And then how's it going to benefit my author that, mm. that, you know, we're doing this. Uh, so they'll be able to ne negotiate uh, not only payments, but also be able to make sure that, you know, if we're actually giving these rights up, that they're actually going to be used versus just giving them up and for, for that, the potential that, that maybe it'll mm -hmm. turn into something. Right. Well, and I guess this kind of leads into um, one of the other topics I wanted to talk about today, um, which is what are some of the more important things or most important things that um, you've heard writers and agents talk about when it comes to looking for a good literary agent author partnership? Because it is a partnership. I remember, and Michael, this might have been, I can't remember if it was Tiffany's keynote at the conference or not, but there was a session at the annual conference in July. And the gist of what the person said was that the literary, literary agent is going to be your representative. They are going to be your voice in front of editors and publishers. So you need to make sure that they represent like, your values and the way you want to be presented to the world. Um, for me, that like phrasing it in that way was sort of a light bulb moment because I've always mm -hmm. thought... Like I would want a literary agent who just knows the business inside and out and could, uh, you know, knows the right editors. But there's so much more to it than that. It's 
how they present themselves to those potential editors and what kind of relationship with they have with those editors. Are they a kind person? <laughs> I mean, business savvy and being kind aren't mutually exclusive. So you sure. can like negotiate a contract really well while still being, <laughs> um, you know, a decent human being. <laughs> yeah. um, and so I think I've started following lots and lots of literary agents on Twitter to just see how they're, values and like mm. humanity align with what I would want, um, you know, and how I would want to be presented to, um, you know, potential publishers or, or editors. So, um, what about the rest of you? What are some of the other things that, um, you think have heard are important to people when looking for that partnership? Well, I asked this question um, for our annual conference. I hosted a panel of debut authors and I asked them something similar, which was, um, how did you know that your agent was the one? Um, mm -hmm. And I remember that uh, Brian Kennedy, uh, he said that he, this is actually his third literary agent. Um, and it was, it was just one of those things where, you know, when he was working with the other agents, they believed in his work. Um, but there was something lacking in the relationship where he kind of felt like he was on his own. Um, so when he linked up with this literary agent, he really felt like there was that connection where they were in it together. The agent was fully on board. Um, wanted to hear his thoughts, really engaged with him. And I know that um, in kind of in the same vein, uh, Robert Jones Jr. was talking about um, his publication journey with the prophets was a, a kind of unusual um, in the way that we think about what, how books get published. Um, but he treated his, um, he, his like, meetings with potential literary agents as job interviews that these mm. people were interviewing for a job to work with him. And he attributed that uh, kind of mentality to just being naive about the way that publishing works. But when I mentioned that to friends of mine who are now literary agents, um, that very much impressed them. And they said like, that's how you should kind of think about a literary agent. Like this is somebody who is, is really going to work with you. Um, and you want your visions to be aligned. You want this to be somebody who you feel comfortable communicating with, um, who you can see yourself working with for a really long time. Uh, and not just like, okay, well, I, I sense that something might not be gelling here, but I'm kind of afraid that this will be my only chance. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so that, that kind of like changed my perspective thinking mm -hmm. about, um, like as a writer, how I think about literary agents where like they should, like, it shouldn't just be like, please publish my book. Like, please right. represent me. There should like prove to me that yes. you will do the representing that I'm seeking. <laughs> that the the conference in general really changed my perspective on working with agents because I don't 
I promise we had more than Tiffany D. Jackson there, listeners. But I think <laughs> also in Tiffany D. Jackson's closing, she said something very similar that was like, they work for you. Like agents are working for you. You can't you can't be fired by an agent, basically. And um it was just because I've I'm very like timid about it. I feel very like shy around it. But it's true, it's kind of like finding it's like finding the right therapist, like, but not don't treat your agent like a therapist. I'm just saying like, <laughs> if it's not working out, it's like n- no bad feelings. You want to find the right person who um, has sort of the same desires for your manuscript as you do. Otherwise, it's you're going to be pretty unhappy. Yeah, I think a lot of uh, writers, like even experienced writers um, who haven't really been represented by an agent or like early on uh, in their career with an agent is uh, sometimes they think of it as like two sides of a table, um, you know, where actually uh, it is, it's like a business partnership. A lot of times like agents and authors will refer to it as like a relation, like almost, you know, it's not a romantic relationship. If it is, then there's something wrong. Probably, uh, but uh, but it's like a relationship where you're um, trying to come together and have you, you want to have uh, these different things like the passion for the project is kind of equal, um, yeah. the vision for the project and projects um, that you're kind of like on that same uh, wavelength, and or that you can like really communication is like the, the really key thing because even if like, if you're going the wrong way, like I've, I've uh, communicated with so many authors over the years who uh, talk about how great their agents are and how sometimes like their agent is like the one person who can help them see that they're going down the wrong path on a project mm-hmm. um, in a way, a way where they can keep, moving forward on a new project. Mm-hmm. So um, you need to be able to have like that, that communication uh, is uh, so important. And then also like, if you're, if you're a new author and you're looking for an agent, I think it's very important to um, just do your due diligence as far as like looking at track record, like, uh, you know, a lot of times there are young hungry new agents who haven't placed anything. And sometimes that can be a great fit, but uh, a lot of times they're working at an agency that has uh, proven sales. And so, so you really want to try to find uh, agents and or agencies where uh, they've shown that they can actually uh, sell through and um, do, do good by uh, their authors. And also always keep in mind that even if, you think you found the right agent and you're like six months, a year, two years down the road, think that the relationship isn't working or that it's stalling out. Don't be afraid to uh, back out of that relationship and try to, you know, forge a new one with, with someone else. Mm-hmm. Robert, what you said about, um, you know, hungry new agents, hit on something that I wanted to mention too. I was putting together the um, <clears throat> the annual agent roundup for a September, October issue um, recently. And 
there was an agent who offered some advice about about that exact thing. Um, and I can't remember which agent it was, but it it totally changed my perspective about things because, you know, again, I don't have a literary agent, but in thinking about what I would want, I've always thought like, I want the well-established literary agent who represents some of my favorite writers, which is, you know, they've got the experience, Not they've got untrue. the track record. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it would be a, you know, a lofty goal. Yeah, some of, of course. them have Wouldn't been closed no. to clients for decades now because, yeah. you know, um, but so on the one hand, there is the benefit of having that kind of, uh, you know, a very well-established agent who has, you know, the experience and the track record and the reputation. On the other hand, with a younger agent or, or maybe not younger is the wrong word, a newer agent who mm -hmm. hasn't developed their full list, um, one of the benefits of that is you get more of their attention. You aren't, you know, the 100th client on their list. I have no idea how many clients agents take PS, um, but you wouldn't be, <laughs> you know, just one in a number to them. You would have more of their attention. And I think for me, I, you know, changed my mind in that I wouldn't necessarily want to have that big name agent, you know, who represents all of my favorite writers, but rather, is there a newer agent at their agency who could partner with that, um, more established person who, you know, they could be their mentor and guide them. But I would have the benefit of um, having someone, having someone's more undivided attention mm -hmm. um, because I think and, there's benefit to that too. Yeah. And going off of that point, um, I think it is really important to remember that like we are in a really great period of growth in our industry where um, we're really looking at the systems that are in place and asking why there's not more diversity. Um, and right now there are so many, especially agents of color coming onto the scene. Um, and if that's something that's really important to you, like I know thinking about, um, I've been thinking more seriously about my own, lit like a literary agent I would want to work with. And to me, like, I just know I would have to work with somebody who is openly queer because that's the stories that I write, that's my audience. And I really want somebody who comes from uh, not just like a similar background to me, but who can like understand very personally um, the experiences of my characters and my readers. So if that is something that is important to you, um, whether it comes from your culture, your racial identity, your sexuality, um, your gender identity, like, some of those agents might be a little more green and that's okay because we are in this like really wonderful area of growth. Um, mm -hmm. But like Robert and Amy have said, like make sure, you know, is if they're not established, if they haven't kind of proven themselves, um, what about the people that they work with? What is their agency like as a whole? Um, because what I do know about these agencies is that, they are a, a wider support system generally. Um, so even if they're a younger, we keep saying younger, but we right. mean like- Novice. A newer. novice agent. <laughs> yes. If they're uh, newer to that role, um, 
the other more senior agents at the agency will be helping them along. Um, so you want to make sure that you're you're doing your due diligence in that way, but you don't want to completely write somebody off just because they don't have um, a giant client list at the moment. Sure, right. And and I think I think it's good to to keep pointing out the the novice part because uh, there are agents who are uh, literally younger. But then there are some agents who are new who have been working in book publishing for like 20, Mm -hmm. 25 plus years and then uh, fill the the call to become an agent. So like they're considered new novice agents because they don't have any clients yet. Uh, So so there there are different types of uh, uh, novice agents out there. Yeah, for sure. So I think one of the last things I wanted to talk about, um, and we hit on uh, one of these ideas earlier when I mentioned um, the Association of American Literary Agents, but I wanted to talk about what are some of the ways to find, uh, what are some of the most reliable ways to find reputable literary agents? Um, Because I think it would be, you know, it's, the scam agents are pretty easy to find. <laughs> they come to you offering some sort of magical money that <laughs> will not appear. Um, but I think there are a lot of easy, reliable ways to find reputable agents. Um, and I'll just start with the one just because I kind of um, referenced it in talking about what kind of agent I would want. But I always look in the acknowledgments of books by the authors I like. Some of my favorite pages... Maybe they're not my favorite pages. Some of the most informative pages of books that I read are the copyright page and the acknowledgments because they just contain so much behind the scenes information, like who has worked on the book, who the literary agent is, who some of the you know freelance or um, or even not freelance editors who have worked on the book. But if you if there are certain books that you by authors who you know you are going to like. Um, checking out the acknowledgements is one way to find, um, you know, a potentially great agent for yourself. That, uh, thinking about that is one of my favorite ways to, to uh, pieces of advice, as well as our agent roundup that's coming out in the magazine, because it just feels like the most um, organic way to, to find the right person for you. Cause I think, um, a lot of people, I think this is understandable. They just, um, especially like if you think about the first time you apply for a job, you're told to like apply for every possible job that you could do. A lot of those you don't really want and don't waste your time reaching out to agents who are just not right for you and don't like are probably going to, um, decline your manuscript because they just don't cover the kind of book you want to write. So Mm -hmm. looking at books that you do like, or that you'd like to read and seeing their agents, I think is like an incredible place to start because you're already, Mm -hmm. you're, you've done all of the, the weeding and you're, and you're getting to really to the, to the point. And then I don't know about y'all, but with the age roundup that we have come out in the magazine, I took rigorous notes while I was editing (laughs) Max. I was like, this is such good advice it's like telling i don't have any excuses like it's telling me right here this person is looking for my kind of writing um and if i don't take um advantage of that then that's on me so i think like 
I think Writer's Digest is a great resource for that. And then also coming to the conference because we have so many agents that are there that you can talk to on, on a face-to-face way. Um, and you never know what you'll what you'll leave that weekend. Um, you might leave with a, with a possible contract. Yeah, that's a good point, uh, Michael. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that about the live events. Uh, I was hanging out. Uh, this is the first time we've done a live event in three years uh so the past two which are you know three years apart i've gotten to hang out in the pitch slam room on saturday of the conference which is the day everyone looks forward to or dreads or feels <laughs> the combination both. of everything um <laughs> where, where they get to pitch agents uh face to face and i think a lot of times authors go into that thinking uh, it's one-sided that that only the authors authors want to find that success story. But I get to talk to the agents and the editors in that room uh, before uh, the event starts, uh, in between the different sessions, hang out with them at lunch. And all of them that are coming to these events, like they want to find the next success stories. Um, they, they want to find the project that's, that's going to succeed. So those, uh, in-person events, um, it's a two-sided thing. Like, like the authors are coming there wanting to find success, but the agents and editors, they want to find projects because they want to have another great, uh, book sale or another great, uh, 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 book and author to, to represent their career. Um, in addition to the live events, though, um, and this isn't going to help anyone who's listening to the podcast, which is why you should also watch the video on YouTube. But uh, I've got visual representations here of Writer's Market and Guide to Literary Agents, uh, two books that I personally edited. And um, Guide to Literary Agents in particular is uh, a great book for a great resource for like uh, learning how the agent process works, uh, the whole process of getting the books uh, put together, sold, uh, promoted and everything. But then we've also got listings for um, all the different uh, literary agents uh, and agencies uh, in there as well. It's a great uh, starting point. And um, just one more thing I just wanted to mention is uh if there are agents that you're interested in, be sure to um, see if you can follow them on social media, because that's a, I think Amy kind of touched on this a little bit earlier. Like that's a great way to get a feel for that uh, personality uh, of the agent, what they're looking for, what they're interested in. Now, when you friend them, I'm just going to tell you right now, don't pitch them. Uh, don't say, thank you for accepting my friend request. Here's my book. Uh, don't, don't do that. You told me to do it. Um, yeah, it's, it's very, it's very off, off, uh, putting to the agent, but, uh, uh, instead just, you know, follow them, get a sense for, for what they're doing. And, um, you know, if there's, if there's an opportunity for you to participate in the conversation, by all means do that. Uh, just don't, don't pitch your, uh, project out of out of context there don't don't abuse that relationship (laughs) i think um when you were talking about like getting to know the agent's personality um 
A website that I really like for that is Manuscript Wishlist. Um, I feel like sometimes, well, you know, when you look at a professional website, um, they, it can feel a little sterile or like templated is the mm -hmm. word that comes to mind. Um, like I would not say that the way that my bio is on our WD site like <laughs> is the full force of my personality and my interests, <laughs> right? Um, but manuscript wish list is set up in such a way that um, I feel like agents are um, a little bit more, I don't want to say bubbly is such an ugly word to me, like, <laughs> um, but their, their personalities do come to the surface a little bit more. You can see them really get excited when they're talking mm -hmm. about the things that interest them. And it goes beyond, um, like sometimes they put their hobbies and stuff on there. And um, so I, I really like to look at those and also like kind of the, the flip side of that coin, Publishers Marketplace is a really great avenue. I like go there specifically when I want like the nitty gritty kind of business details, like um, who are they working with, when, like what books are coming out when, what have they sold, um, have they co-agented on a project and what was that project and who was that author. Um, those pages are are a little bit more um, businessy, I guess. Um, but I, I just like to look look people up. I'm interested <laughs> to see what they're doing, and it, it's also um, great research for us when we are putting together our annual agent roundup. Mariah, I think those two websites do go very hand in hand. Um, I feel like manuscript wish list is more up to date in terms of like what the agents are looking for, you know, this week versus two months ago. They right. <laughs> I feel like they have a tendency to update that more, um, you know, with a wish list. Well, it's a wish list, so that sort of thing more frequently. Um, and publishers marketplace, you're right. I like I do go there to see, um, you know, what deals they've brokered in the past year or whatever, but. I think there was a tip and I can't remember if it was in the agent roundup or if I just saw it, um, you know, floating by on my Twitter feed, but it was, you know, the publisher's marketplace has a subscription fee and you can pay by the month or by six months or by the year or whatever. Um, so one of the tips that I thought was particularly interesting was if you know you're going to start querying um, soon sign up for just a month subscription of publisher's wish, wish list and use the heck out of it during that month. Get mm -hmm. the contact information of the, um, of the agent, see what they're up to, you know, at this exact moment. And then when you're done with your querying, you can kind of, you know, cancel that subscription, but it has served your purpose during that time. And I thought that was an interesting, um, an interesting tidbit because you can find some interesting things on Publishers Marketplace for sure. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, boy, I think we have covered just a lot um, in this and we still have um, a, a chat with Margaret Danko coming up. So I guess thanks everyone for chatting. It's been fun as always. 
Um, and as I mentioned, up next, Mariah will be talking with um, Margaret Danko. So stay tuned. everyone, this is Managing Editor Mariah Richard here with literary agent Margaret Danko. We are going to be discussing everything and anything uh, literary agenting today. Um, Margaret, thank you so much for being here. Hi, thanks um, for I having do, me. <laughs> I do just want to quickly let everyone know that Margaret and I have been friends for quite a few years now. Um, before either of us were really involved in the industry, we went to our MFA program together. Um, so this should be really fun. I'm really excited to talk to you. But before we jump into um, kind of the nitty gritty of it, would you mind telling our listeners a little bit about yourself and your background? Yeah. Um, so like Maria said, I actually came into literary agenting from the writer side of things. Um, we got our MFA at Temple University slightly apart. That's what this, this guy is. Um, I'm official. Uh, but I also <laughs> did creative writing in undergraduate at Oberlin College. Um, and then after graduating the MFA, did a few years of hustle uh, editing and proofreading. I like to say that I've, I've kind of seen things at um, every stage of the game. I've done everything from all the way development, writing it myself, to line editing, copy editing, proofreading, um, and now representing books. Um, and authors to major publishers, which is crazy sometimes to think about. Like, this is a thing I get to do. I can't believe it. Um, so that's me in a nutshell. It's definitely been a really interesting and wild ride. I think that um, it just goes to show that, like, in this industry, like, there there is no box that you have to fit yourself in. You know, I know so many... Um, like writer, like people who start out as published authors become agents. Um, people who work in editing for a great many years become agents, um, and vice versa. Agents will, you know, stop agenting to go in and do different projects within the industry. So it's always really fun to hear how people come into this job. Yeah, definitely. It is. Uh, it's one of those industries where like it is so small uh, when you really get down <laughs> to it and realize like everyone has you know had has dabbled in lots of different parts of it or a lot of people have I won't say everyone um but we all love books so we find our way to it some way somehow absolutely <laughs> um so you mentioned that you were a writer before you were a publishing professional do you remember what your perception of literary agents was like back then um this is so funny because because like for a long time I knew they existed but I like completely skipped over that part of the process in my brain. Um, I think like I specifically thinking back to uh, undergrad, like the idea of actually getting anything published was like so off my radar. Other people were having things published in magazines and I was just like, whatever, here I am in my corner doing my thing, not paying attention to like how I'll actually maybe make this work someday. Um, and then in the MF, I started thinking a little bit more seriously about career paths and what part of this business I wanted to be a part of, what part of it um, I felt most connected to and that my skill set would work for best. Um, and I was really thinking editorial. Um, and it wasn't until I started poking around and, and trying to figure out like, what exactly do agents do? 
that I realized how um, how niche of a category like that kind of work is. Um, and then truly until I got into um, got into the work of it, did I, that was the only time that I really started to understand like, oh, this is what we do here. Um, I really was just <laughs> like, I don't, I don't know. They're like people who talk to editors. Like it was so, I had, it just, I just skipped that part. Um, I didn't think about it at all. I think, cause again, I was so busy with the craft of it um, that I wasn't thinking about like, what do I do with it when I'm done quite yet? Yeah, I think the, it's it's so weird to like think about all those years ago. Um, when I was in high school, I was telling people that I wanted to be a literary agent without really understanding what that meant. I just thought that, oh, this would be a really neat way to help other people get their books published. Um, but then like, of course, that my siren call was editing, right? That's where I like really found my, um, my joy, my zone of genius. Mm -hmm. I don't know how you want to describe it. Um, But like once I actually came to understand all of the different, um, really like mostly the social aspects of literary agenting, I was like, no, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I guess um, for me, my perception of the role changed when I realized like how much of it is... um, like making connections with people in the industry, like um, making sure that you are representing your clients, making sure that, you know, their work finds a home. A little bit is like sales, right? Um, A lot of sales, a lot of sales. (laughs) You're convincing people, um, hey, you know, this book is perfect for your um, publishing house. So how has your perception changed um since becoming a literary agent yeah so there was there was that phase when i had graduated the mfa i was working on my first novel um and i started thinking about like hey what happens afterwards um and (laughs) at about that time i think i had like just finished the first draft of that novel um and had actually gotten my internship with um kim perel at paper overboard and started to think about um, kind of from the ground up, like what does querying look like? What does it mean to make these connections? Um, And there's something about this job, it's so um, apprentice-based that you really kind of like, you work your way from like one edge and then the whole spectrum kind of comes into view the more you just, you work things through the process. Um, And now I think like there, there was that moment where I had to decide, is this the thing that I'm going to do? Um, and that was the moment that I had to kind of comprehensively look at the amount of footwork and hustling that it was going to be, um, the amount of sales versus editorial, you know, just all these different hats that you had to put on um, and the, the multifaceted nature of this particular job. Um, and I remember the day that like Kim sat me down and was like, I really think this is a good fit for you, but like, I want you to understand like, this is a hustle. This is, this is something that requires a lot, a lot, a lot of work. Um, and you really have to love it if you want to make it um, sustainable for you. It's something you have to kind of put your whole heart and soul into. Um, and I was like, yeah, this is the moment. This is the day we do the thing. Um, and I, I think it's really hard to, to understand. And so even now, um, I, I tell people one of the, my 
one of my favorite parts of being in this job and also at my particular agency at IGLA and, and working with Paper Overboard um, is that like every day I feel like there's something new to learn and I'm still watching older agents above me say like, oh, like this is a new one for me, right? Because it's this all <laughs> always evolving process. You know, things are constantly changing. We're constantly learning um, and you have to grow and adapt. And I think I would... I would struggle anywhere else that I get to do um, if I don't get to do this kind of like constant changing and, and um, adapting. And I'm, I'm just like a really energetic person and I get bored really easily. <laughs> so like task switching um, is something that I really love. And that's part of this, whoo, this job, this job is a lot of that. Um, yeah, it definitely, it definitely is. is. <laughs> and I think it's, it's really fun to get to have conversations um, with people who have been on the other side, you know, who can come to it with writers and get to say, you know, here's what's really going on here. Here are all the, the bits and pieces that are going to be at play. And here's how I can help you work through that. Um, and so I'm, I'm really grateful for my writing background for that reason. I think it gives me, um, an empathy and, um, an ability to, to see authors where they are and where they want to be and to understand mm -hmm. Uh, what about this industry is transparent and what about this industry is it's really not it's, um it is a lot of that networking a term that I hate but but have to engage with <laughs> um, um yeah yeah so you mentioned um how being a writer makes you a better agent um but switching gears just a little bit from that writer's perspective um, can you share some common mistakes you see writers making um, in their interactions with literary agents? Um, I think I, I think about this a lot because um, I have a I have this memory of someone asking me um, in a query critique or, or some other critique I was doing. You know, is it acceptable to do X? Um, and there are so many rules and so many like kind of like gotcha moments that I think um, writers get really caught up in and are really afraid of. And I, that's really hard. It's really hard. We don't want to, we want like creativity, but we also have to follow certain rules um, when it comes to like, give me the material I asked for and no more and no mm -hmm. less um, because I know what I need to see in order to um, start the conversation and, and make that. Um, but a lot of it is, also do what's effective, right? If you want to break a rule, think critically about whether or not it's doing what you want it to. It's giving the impression that you want it to. Um, because I'm all for creativity and I'm, I don't like to put hard restrictions on what you can and cannot do in things like a pitch or a query. Um, but you do have to ask yourself, you know, is this the, the best way to represent my project, my voice, you know, whatever it is that you're trying to get across, is it effective? rather than is it allowed that makes sense um and this is a question that's based off of a conversation that you and i actually just had recently about my writing <laughs> um but do you have any advice for writers who aren't sure if traditional publishing is their path or not yeah um i haven't worked in um many capacities right having now working with traditional publishers um and also seeking connections with small publishers having worked with hybrids and self-publishing people um 
I truly believe that there is a path to publishing for everyone and it doesn't have to be the traditional path. I choose that because I think it's fun and it has its own kind of like rules and stakes and um, it's an adventure every time. But I also think that like everyone has a voice and everyone can use their voice and it's really about finding the best fit for you. Um, If you are someone who wants to be more experimental um, and who wants a house that's really going to understand what that looks like, um, support it, help you create that vision and, and hone it, um, then maybe a small experimental publisher is better for you than um, trying to find a home with bigger traditional publishers who are sometimes more risk averse when it comes to things that are super experimental. Um, and so I... I really believe in that. I really believe that it's about finding the best fit for you. Um, Agents can be really great in helping you make that decision and helping you navigate because it is a huge market, right? You have the big five publishers. Uh, Are we big four yet? Are we soon to be three? Like we don't. (laughs) Um, But there are also like four, more than 400 independent publishers um, in this country alone, which is a lot to navigate by yourself. And so sometimes, you know, the footwork is what we do to make it work. Um, But if you're willing and able to do that yourself, um, there are so many really great small presses out there that um, do phenomenal work and will give you the time and attention that you need and that you deserve for your work. And also, if self-publishing is for you, there are fabulous freelancers who have experience in lots of different areas who would love to help you make that happen. So um, it's really about evaluating your needs and your expectations and making the choice that's right for you. I love that. Um, So say that, you know, you're a writer and you've decided like, yes, um, traditional publishing is really where I see myself. Um, I know that like, I joke about it a lot because it was a benchmark in uh, my previous job, but like, I want to see my book in every airport bookstore was like a, like something that we would say um, when, when discussing, like, do you want to be a traditionally published author or not? Um, So What's the best thing that a writer can do after they've decided, like, yes, I want a literary agent, I want to be traditionally published, um, and now they're preparing to pitch to agents? Um, Get really, really clear on the core aspects of your story. Um, Researching log lines and pitch formulas to keep it really tight and condensed, I think, is one of the most important things you can do. Um, There are so many, like, books are a lot, right? You have so many themes, you pour your heart and soul into them, you have characters you love. It is so hard to distill it down to you know, a bare bones, like two sentence pitch. Um, but it's so helpful, even in like a query letter, to just be able to nail down um, who's the protagonist, what do they want, why do they want it, what's in their way, um, and what's at stake if they don't get it. Those five things tell me everything I need to know about the tension, about um, usually the genre gets baked in there somewhere um, and and helps me. I'm a, I'm a super intense like character-based person. So for me, at least, it's especially important to understand those stakes. Like, why do I care? Why am I connecting with this character? And I think that's really important. Um, and there's kind of, a, there's a similar 
pitch structure for nonfiction, which is that like, have you identified a problem? How is your book speaking to that problem? What are you bringing to this conversation that has never been brought before and that makes you special? Um, and, um, you know, kind of what's, what's your um, big takeaway and how do you want to change the world with it? Um, so just distilling as much as you can so that you always have that go-to. You can go on tangents and um, down rabbit holes when you have someone face-to-face -face with you in a conversation, but to be able to get all of that crucial information out in a conversation or in a query letter right away is the best way to kind of snag someone's attention. So um, at the time of recording this, so we're recording this in August, this conversation, dear listeners. Um, but back in July, Margaret actually uh, came to the Writer's Digest annual conference in New York City as a literary agent for our annual Pitch Slam event. Um, which is a, an in-person pitching event um, that we kind of describe as like speed dating <laughs> for writers and agents. Um, so I, I wanted to ask you, Margaret, like after having um, experienced that, do you have any tips for our listeners about pitching at in-person events? Because I know we've talked a little bit about like the more standard pitch, which is generally through email. Mm -hmm. um, which is all text-based. So when you're in person and and things are a little bit less, um, like you have a little bit less time to clean up your, your thoughts and your ideas, um, do you have any advice for writers who are looking for that kind of pitching event? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think, bless all of you who did that. Um, everyone was nervous, I was nervous. Um, I like to engage people in deep breaths because it is an incredibly uh, vulnerable process. And I really respect people who are like, I'm going to do it anyway. Um, I also think that some of the most successful people um, who were able to kind of like calm themselves and also get it all out there were people who just wrote it down. There is nothing wrong with coming with an index card that has all the things you want to say on it. Um, you do not have to have it memorized in order for it to be effective. If you're referencing a card or, you know, there's a guy with an iPad, all of that is valid. All of that will make sure that you have everything that you need at your disposal. Um, we recognize that pitching aloud is wildly different than getting the pitch in a query inbox and actually getting those first pages. Um, so I, I think, and at least, you know, my philosophy is that like, this is a very different environment. Um, I am very open knowing that I'm only getting a very small part of the picture. It is a part of the picture that can be like really fun and really exciting if the pitch is uh, super good and really energetic or, or something like that. But um, yeah, I think people people feel pressure to do it off the cuff and like, you don't have to. It's fine come with a card. That's fine. Do whatever is going to uh, make you the most comfortable and the most confident in that environment. I love that. Um, so we are about to wrap up our conversation, sadly, but do you have any last advice for our listeners? Um, yes, there is one thing that I think people feel really afraid to do or guilty to do when they are querying. And that is to follow up. Um, 
if you have offers, follow up with people you haven't heard from. If you haven't heard from people and they said it's going to take them three months, it's okay to send an email and just say, hey, I'm, you know, I'm following up on this. Uh, it has been a tremendously challenging two years. Um, and people are behind. People are having to take time off to take care of themselves. Um, I can speak for myself and say there are so many. I, I changed my practice. Uh, we used to have at Paper Overboard a, um, a no response means no policy because we had so many things we couldn't be responding to all of them. Um, I actually changed that because one, I, I don't like no response. I think that like it is nice <laughs> to have that closure and I just wanted to get that out there. Um, and I completely understand the people who continue to do that, but I, it didn't make me feel good. So I stopped doing that. But the other reason that I changed it was because I could no longer anticipate how long it was going to take me to do things. Um, there are things about which I feel like I am shamefully behind. Um, so there is no shame at all in following up on things. You don't know if they have fallen through the cracks. You don't know how far behind someone is in their query inbox. Um, we are all doing our best under circumstances that are insane. Um, as long as you are following the directions that have been given to you by the agent or agency in terms of what um, is their expected time frame or their policy, I mean, always check and make sure that they, um, if they say it takes them six months and you're bumping them at three months, it's a little too soon, right? Um, but, but I think people are really afraid that they're bothering us. Um, we are here to be bothered. This is controversial, maybe. I don't know if everyone agrees with me, but I really think that um, you are your own best advocate, and especially for um, for women and people of color and for um, queer folks, we are really bad at advocating for ourselves. This is a space where I'm telling you, follow up with that agent, follow up with that editor. Mm. Don't be afraid um, to bother them. And it is funny, um, just one last note. So for our September-October issue of Writer's Digest magazine, um, which you can pick up at the time uh, that you're listening to this. But um, we have our annual agent roundup. And we ask some of these types of questions of agents. Um, you know, what advice do you have for people who are querying? And um, I forget exactly who it was, but I know that somebody said, um, like, just so you know, when I'm reading your queries I'm sitting on my couch it's the evening my cat's next to me I've got like a cup of coffee in my hand like I'm a person mm -hmm. and and we're all just people and we're all just doing our best and that was really interesting to hear because I feel like a lot of people there is this intimidation factor um you know like well, who am I to be sending you my work? Um, but no, if you really believe in, in your work, if you know there's an audience for it that's waiting to hear you and to hear your voice and to hear your story, um, you know, agents are just people. So it's, I know we talked about this in our editor chat in the first part of this episode. Um, but, you know, if, if you're really not vibing with someone, it's okay to look for new representation, if you really connect with somebody, it's okay to have really open communication with them. Um, you know, it's, we're all just people and we all just love stories and want to put stories out there. So the, the 
agent writer dynamic is not as scary as it might seem to somebody who's just starting to query. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I get that. We, we have this like arbitrary hierarchy, but like, don't forget that like agents can't do their job without writers. We, we, right. we can't do this without you. So it is in our best interest um, to make sure you're taken care of. Absolutely. All right. That looks like all the time we have for today. Thank you so much, Thank Margaret, you. for being here. Stay tuned for our writing prompt and for a little bit of info on our next episode. Today's writing prompt is going to be a little bit different. Instead of writing something for your story or your character um, or a book that you're working on, instead, write about what you want in a literary agent if you don't have one. Um, would you want them to be an editorial style agent um, or just focused on the business career type stuff? Uh, weigh the pros and cons about going with an established agent or an up and coming agent. Think about what's most important to you um, so you can make the best use of your querying journey. Thanks for listening to Writer's Digest Presents. Join us in October when we'll be talking about writing stories featuring scenes of dread or discomfort. Until then, visit writersdigest.com for more writing prompts, advice, and inspiration. Email us at writers.digest at aimmedia.com to share your feedback and join us on social media at Writer's Digest to share your thoughts about agent advice. We look forward to hearing from you.